You're listening to another episode of the Zag Soap here, continuing our social distancing miniseries. Joined by a returning guest, Jamie Alexis Fowler is here. She was in one of the original OG classes in Boston in 2009. So it's always good to have old school NLC folks on, but also her work that she's doing presently, very timely. You're going to want to hear about it. So let's get to it. All right, so we're talking about your your occupation. Give folks a little bit of a reminder on what you do for a living these days. Sure. So I run Empower Work, which is a national organization that provides essentially a crisis text line for workplace situations. Um, and as you just mentioned, with the social distancing and all the changes that are happening right now um, because of coronavirus, we're seeing an urgent need right now more than ever. So when we think crisis now, are we talking about health and safety? Are we talking about other things? What kind of uh, uh, outreach are you getting from folks? It really spans a a huge spectrum. So when we say, you know, crisis or a warm line, it's really like what's pressing and urgent for the person. And sometimes um, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen that that's health and safety related. So for instance, I'm being asked to come into work and I'm I'm in an at-risk population and I don't feel comfortable, but I can't say no. Um, it's also the uncertainty that's happening with the larger economy. I'm worried I'm going to lose my job or I've lost my job. And then we also see real concerns about the impact of all of this in what was already a a tough situation. So situations where someone may have already had a lot of manager strain or may have been considering themselves um, to be in a a toxic work situation um, and feeling extra stuck at this point. Um, And that becomes increasingly difficult when folks look ahead and say, you know, look, I'm in this terrible situation, but I'm also worried the job market is slowing down. And so how do I manage this? Because I want to make sure I keep my job. And so who's on the other end of the line when folks reach out? We have incredible volunteers who go through 20 hours of training. They're all across the United States um, and actually some internationally as well, who dedicate time each week to respond to these conversations. And they are truly incredible. They create space for the person reaching out to talk through what's going on for them, figure out what's at stake, think through pathways ahead. Um, and we see this real connection that happens in the course of conversations that's truly inspiring. After one conversation um, this past week, there was this pause and, and the person who had reached out to us said to the volunteer, I'm sorry that I didn't respond. I was crying because this conversation has been so meaningful for me. And do you have a sense how folks are hearing about this option? How are how are you kind of tracking how folks are getting to you? So you have a sense on how to make sure even more folks can f- find a way to reach out? Yeah, great question. We um, find that most people come across us in an organic search. Um, we also have incredible word of mouth referrals. So we hear a lot, you know, hey, so-and-so mentioned to me, you know, so-and-so being like a friend, a coworker, if we don't get the specifics of the name. <laughs> um, right. And then we also uh, have partnerships with 30 plus organizations across the United States who particularly reach um, workers that may be less resourced or um, have less available uh, means to get access to support. So that can include everything from workforce development organizations to um, progressive collaborations of nonprofits, like lots of different um, organizations who share us across their networks as well. With y'all being a nonprofit and, and kind of being in the same boat as a lot of other nonprofits, I'm sure, like what ways are you trying to map out the short and medium and long-term realities for you as a place of work also? It's certainly something we're staying really attuned to. We've had 197% increase in message volume the last two weeks. 
which has been incredible. Um, typically when we see an increase in conversations, we also see an increase in organic donations from folks who use us. So we're free and accessible to anyone. There's no barrier to entry. But in the past, about 15% of people who've used us donate to pay it forward, to keep it free and accessible for other people. And we've seen that radically drop the last um, couple of weeks. At the same time, we've seen our community really step up. We've had folks from advisors to existing supporters organically reach out and say, hey, we know that you might be going through a tough time. Can we can we chip in? So we actually have a, a donor today who's doing a $2,000 match um, because she knows that this is more important than ever. Um, and she feels so committed to that. So we've seen an increase there. Um, and we're paying attention to what needs to be happening in the future. Our support to date, for instance, um, has really been focused on these like timely, immediate conversations. We're looking ahead to the next six to 12 months and saying, what resources do we need to think um, need to make sure are available in our backend infrastructure? Or how do we need to adjust our conversations to make sure that as the landscape unfolds, um, you know, no matter what happens in the next six, 12 months, that we're there as a resource um, to provide support? Yeah, it's interesting you brought that up because I remember when we talked before and had you on the pod, I felt like more of our conversation was about tough work situations, maybe around harassment or maybe around other. Uh, hostile work environments. Whereas now with the likely landscape in the short and medium term being one of higher unemployment, if not really high unemployment, the the whole sort of concept of having a job and work has so shifted dramatically. How do you see your training adjusting for volunteers or how do you see maybe even a repositioning of of the work that you do happening? We know that in 2008, um, following the, the 2008 recession, there's research that shows that folks were more likely to stay in negative work environments. So if folks were experiencing harassment or discrimination or some sort of adverse experience, they were more likely to stay in it and have increasingly negative outcomes um, because of it, because of the recession. And so we're attuned to the fact that our service is going to be super important for those who are experiencing those ongoing pervasive um, workplace situations um, because they're not going to, they're going to be less likely to want to leave a job or, um, maybe take action on what they're experiencing. And we want to make sure that they feel like they're not stuck, that they're not isolated, that they have the resources um, and and means to kind of make it through that. Um, in addition, as you mentioned, with the unemployment um, increasing, we want to make sure that folks have access. This morning on NPR, I heard someone refer, I think there's this new term called like infodemic, where there's like so much information that you can't mm-hmm. find the right information. And that's happening in terms of Healthcare, but that's happening in terms of, you know, oh, it's amazing that all these funds have come up for workers who may have been working in the restaurant industry and who've been who've been laid off. But if there are thirty different funds, like how do you find the right fund or how do you um, connect in? And so we're thinking about, you know, how do we make that really seamless? If folks connect with us um, and we walk through a conversation and we identify what's needed, we can easily connect them to um, using our technology, like easily connect in to available resources, ongoing counseling, make sure that they understand, you know, what benefits may be available um, state and locally. So that's a lot of work and a lot of investment in our infrastructure, but we think could really pay off for folks who may be just feeling really overwhelmed given what's going on. Yeah. And if folks want to support you, what's the best way to do that? Oh, great question. Well, there are three ways. Um, One is that as a nonprofit, we're always eager to be able to increase our outreach and support um, and donations help us do that. So folks jumping on our website, which is empowerwork.org, and donating is really powerful. 
but people can give back in non-monetary ways as well. Like I mentioned, we have volunteers who support these conversations. If you're in a situation where suddenly, you know, you're stuck at home and working from home and you have a little bit more time, like invest in your own professional development and give back to others by being a volunteer. Volunteers report that they get raises, they get promotions, like find better jobs because of the training that they go through with us. It's a real life investment in kind of what's next for you. So that's a way. Um, and the third is really simple. It's share us, share our text number, share our website. Um, as I mentioned, word of mouth is really important for us. And so if you're sharing something on Instagram or you're on Twitter in a conversation about what's happening right now, mention Empower Work and let people know that we're here. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about life outside of work with our guest today. Thanks for listening to The Zag. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right. So your life also includes a little one. What has family life been like since lockdown happened two, three weeks ago in the Bay Area? Yes, we are now. So we're in week two of official or sorry, week three of official lockdown. But our lockdown in a way started a little bit before that because our school was closed for parent teacher conferences. So our four and a half year old has been out of school for over three weeks. Um, And that is tricky. We have two working parents um, and an excited and loving, and I should add very social four and a half year old, having a kid who loves to connect and interact with people, not be able to do that has been one of the biggest challenges I think I've gone through as a parent. And so, yeah, is it almost like retraining, giving new social skills and, and strategies to cope? What do you, what do you suggest others try? Well, he's really great about the social distance thing. He's like, follow the rules. Like we see people out on the street and he's like, six feet, mommy, six feet. <laughs> but, like, but I think what's missing is we haven't figured out um, really the best way to support that. We got a little walkie talkie so that he could talk to his neighbor friends um, mm. and not have to have a parent, you know, setting up like a video chat or something like that. Yeah. Um, we do uh, window drive-bys. <laughs> so like, yeah. in the neighborhood, we've like, walked by, you know, with like eight to 12 feet distance and a window saying hi is that you get that kind of sense that there's a real human there without a video. Um, And of course, we've tried, you know, some of the video techniques as well. But, um, you know, yesterday we were playing in our backyard and he could hear the neighbor next door. And it was so hard for him. He wanted to jump over the fence and like go play basketball with his friend, you know, and and not being able to do it. There's no replacement for that um, at this point over video that I know of. If someone knows it, I'd love to hear. (laughs) <laughs> and do you have any sense that this is hard to project out but what five years from now 10 years from now little ones will remember or have internalized from however long this ends up lasting do you have any any guess on what the impact might be oh i think based on what i've heard from finn so far you know he remembers things from from that we don't remember like two years ago you know he'll say like oh mommy do you remember we were on that plane flight and like we'll just like tell us this long story about something so we definitely appreciate, you know, he knows that there's a bug and he talked about it with one of his friends and said, no, oh, this is a really sneaky bug, you know, and they talked about <laughs> what sneaky bugs are like and knew that that. So I have a sense that in a couple of years, you know, he's going to refer back to remember that time there was the sneaky bug. And I hope it's a consolidated time frame. I hope this is not something that he's experiencing for two years, but, you know, we are for, for a couple of years to come. You know, we know, for instance, with the fires that we've had in California, he remembers all of that. He remembers school being closed down. He remembers wearing a mask and he'll talk about it. And I think one of the hardest things for me as a parent right now is feeling 
hopeful about the future, that there's change that's possible, and also recognizing the real impacts that, you know, climate change and um, the reality that we're all living in, whether it's an administration who doesn't know how to deal with a pandemic or, you know, confusion about healthcare access um, or bad access. And that, that to me is like the hardest tension because I, I can't point to him. I can't point to the future for him and say, this is all going to be solved. Um, but I can contribute what I can today and try to make things as like joyous and connective as I can, um, even while we're having a hard time. Yeah, I'm definitely curious, even for older, kind of like mid to older teenagers, uh, I, I can't imagine being 17 or 18 and, and seeing what I'm see- seeing, what we would be seeing now and having any confidence in leadership and sort of seeing how science is de-emphasized, how truth is de-emphasized and, and not feeling motivated by that to make some significant change, or at least calling into question and being highly skeptical of, of anyone who tells you, well, we've just sort of done it this way. This is how it's been, or these are the reasons why we can't change. I have a little bit of optimism for that because there's just, you know, teenagers and kids are so sharp, like you mentioned, there's no way to, to not see the, the kind of emperor has no clothes vibe that's going on leadership wise. And and how so many choices we've we've made to hollow out so many systems that actually should be serving us well in times like this aren't happening. So I, I hope there's some, yeah, just a groundswell at some point later on. You know, it might be delayed, it might be five, ten years when those kids get older. But to actually see how that would manifest politically or in leadership in in non-political offices is hopefully exciting. But it just takes so long to kind of wait out and see what happens. Yeah, it does. And one of the things we were really excited about for this year in particular is that we've included Finn in every you know, every sort of community engagement activity that we could possibly do, you know, he was like door knocking in the, in the 20th election <laughs> with us, you know, in a carrier and, and we were, you know, we were door knocking in the um, California primary and, and getting, having that sense of like connection and, and momentum, I think is harder, particularly for younger kids to visualize if it's not in person. And so what I think, you know, I'm, I'm trying to look at, Hey, what are some ways that we can model, the, the like positive change that we want to be a part of and that we want him to be a part of going forward, um, even if we have to remain um, distanced in some way. Like, what will that look like? <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Wilson, thanks for coming on. Thanks for all your your hard work and power work. And we'll make sure to put that into the info for the episode. Make sure to download the episodes where you get your podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. They're all there. Thanks for listening. Until next time, we'll catch you soon.